Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn together to Genesis chapter 31 once again. Genesis 31. We'll be focusing on the last section of the chapter, beginning in verse 43. I'm going to begin our reading for context in verse 36. Hear God's holy word. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen. That they, may be, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children. The flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day? For these my daughters, or for their children, whom they have borne. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to the kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness 
and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Amen. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. We're continuing uh, in our study of Genesis and picking up right where we left off um, two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, here with the life of Jacob, where we left off. Laban and Jacob were having a conflict. They were having a confrontation uh, in the hill country of Gilead. You remember Jacob had left Laban secretly with his family and uh, all his possessions and flocks. Uh, he left secretly, and Laban pursued him, had chased him down on a long journey. Jacob is on his way back to uh, his family in Canaan. Well, Laban caught up with him, and when he did, he accused Jacob of taking his gods, uh, along with uh, berating him for, for leaving the way he did. And uh, in uh, accusing him of wrong of these, these idols, these false gods that had been taken, uh, he uh, boldly just rooted through all the tents, searched through all of them, trying to find these things. He was certain that uh, Jacob had taken them. He didn't find them, though. Uh, however, it was Rachel who had stolen them, and she had hidden them. Uh, underneath her on the camel where she was sitting. And then, of course, we saw Jacob, uh, as we read a moment ago, really giving Laban a piece of his mind. And he just lets out uh, all this frustration from those years, 20 years of serving this man who was so unjust and unfair in the way he treated uh, his own son-in-law. Twenty years of pent-up frustration seems to just blow up here, and uh, Jacob uh, lets him hear it. And uh, his final words, though, here, Jacob's final words in this speech that he gives were beautiful, good words, a good confession of his faith in the Lord. He said, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely you, Laban, would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction, and he saw the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you. That's a beautiful confession of faith for this man who was so um, self-reliant in his younger years, scheming and uh, doing whatever he could do in dishonest ways to get what he wanted. Jacob now knows it's the Lord 
who's fighting his battles for him. It's the Lord who had protected him. It's the Lord who had provided for him uh, all those years and even turned all those afflictions and sufferings that, that Laban inflicted on him. The Lord turned them around for Jacob's good. Despite all Laban's cheating, doing everything he could to uh, be terrible to Jacob, the Lord had blessed Jacob. And he knows that full well. And he acknowledges it and confesses it here. And today, beginning in verse 43, as we look at this passage, we, we see Laban responding to this speech of Jacob. And we also see his continued distrust in Jacob and what it leads him to do. So in verse 43, Jacob has just finished um, really lighting, lighting up Laban, really letting him have it and uh, exposing him for the person, the kind of person he really was. And, and Laban really doesn't have anything good to say in his own defense. Uh, because there really was no defense for his behavior and the kind of person he's been. Everything that Jacob said was true. It was all true. He was a rotten person, a rotten father and father-in-law, and he knew it was true. And he's not repentant. And so out of his unrepentant heart here, he seems to just blow up. He just blurts out these words in, in, uh, in anger, these angry, willful words. Seem to be, uh, seems to be very frustrated, and he just kind of blasts Jacob with these words. He says, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. He's talking about everything that belongs to Jacob. He's saying it's mine. What he's saying isn't even true. He's just blowing up here. It's just a sinful hissy fit that he's having. He's a prideful, power-hungry man who hates to lose, and he knows he's lost. And so he just blows up. You ever had someone do that to you, or maybe you do it to someone else? He's, he's realizing, too, that he's powerless and we see that here. We see his weakness here. And what's, what's interesting here is that Jacob doesn't even reply to this sinful, raging outburst of Laban. He just stops. He stops that dialogue. He stops um, replying to him. doesn't say a word. He just was silent. I think that probably shows... Again, growth, spiritual growth, growth in character in this man, Jacob. He surely would have loved to have just blasted back at him, at Laban. The guy surely had it coming. What he said here was all nonsense, just falsehood and raging. But he's silent. Maybe you've experienced that kind of treatment at the hand of others, and you feel the desire to just keep that uh, fiery argument going. We all feel that way at times, but to his credit here, Jacob just goes silent. He held his tongue. 
Laban's foolish outburst isn't even worthy of a response. And we can learn from that. We can learn from Jacob here. Often it's best to respond the way Jacob responded, and that is no response to an angry, raging person. That proverb says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. To do so, to keep answering this kind of person uh, just perpetuates the the fiery anger, the fiery uh, argument. Uh, It sets them back on their heels. They continue to be defensive and they just want to fire back more and more to defend themselves. But silence is golden in times like that. You just hold your tongue. Let them have the last word. Let them uh, hear themselves ranting and just leave it at that. They may realize how foolish they're being. The Lord may use that to show them uh, how unreasonable and silly they're being. Often that's the best way to counter that kind of uh, fiery behavior, sinful behavior. Well, Laban didn't repent. He didn't. We don't see that here. We don't see a man being humbled and uh, confessing his sin, apologizing. What we see instead is his weakness confirmed by what he did next. For all his loud raging and bluster, he's really just a weak man and a fearful man at that. And we see that here. He's afraid of Jacob. In verse 44, Laban says, Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between us. He's proposing a a covenant of non-aggression, an agreement, and a, a mutual commitment to have no aggression toward each other. And why does he do that? Why does he ask for that? Because he's afraid. He's afraid of Jacob and how he's grown strong and wealthy. He knows that uh, all these things Jacob said are absolutely true as well. Laban has been horrible. He's been a horrible excuse for a human being to Jacob and his family. And now the tables are turned. Jacob's strong. He's rich. Laban's afraid. Man, one of these days, this guy is probably going to come back and try to get revenge against me. He's probably going to want to pay me back for how I wronged him. And so out of his fear and out of a desire to protect himself, he proposes this covenant. It's all him. This is his idea. This covenant that would result in each man committing to do no harm to the other doesn't sound like a bad plan, but uh, the motivation is this man is scared. He doesn't want to get right with God and with Jacob. He just wants to make sure he's going to be okay. And Jacob isn't going to come slaughter him and his family someday. That's an interesting turnaround. He's been hurting Jacob for all those years. But now, he wants to make sure that Jacob won't hurt him. 
he sees that God is with Jacob, that God has prospered Jacob so much that he is far more powerful than Laban. And so Laban feels weak, and he really feels insecure. In verse 44, he says this covenant will be a witness between Jacob and himself. Let's understand what's going on here. Again, Laban is the one who wants this covenant. Laban is the one who uh, feels he needs it. Jacob didn't, uh, didn't initiate this. He agreed to it, but he doesn't feel the need for this. He, he doesn't have a, a desire to, uh, or, or plans that we're aware of, that he, uh, uh, of harming Laban. He just wants to get away from the man from this horrible individual. He just wants to go back home with his family and live his life. He doesn't want to hurt Laban, even though he he could have. But Laban is so insecure, so fearful. On the other hand, Jacob is not insecure. He has learned that his security is from the Lord. And the Lord was with him and giving him security. So this covenant isn't really for Jacob so much as it is to calm Laban's uh, irrational fears. But Jacob agreed to it. They set up this uh, pillar and these stones, this heap. These were signs of this covenant. Covenants often had a sign. And this heap of stones and pillar was, was the sign in this one, and they call them a witness. And uh, the witness, this witness, this heap of stones um, to this covenant relationship that these men established is really like a boundary that's going to exist between them geographically. Uh, Jacob's committing to never cross that boundary to attack Laban, and Laban in turn is saying, I'm going to do the same. I'll never cross this this line, as it were, to harm you. And and there is distrust between these two. There certainly is. And and the the whole fact that they're establishing this covenant um, shows that distrust. Uh, Laban is basically saying, I don't trust you. Jacob any further than I could throw you. I've got to have this covenant in place. Uh, And and if you're out of my sight, God is going to keep an eye on you. May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we're away from each other. That's a verse that sounds like a happy verse. It sounds like a pleasant pleasant verse. I think it's on jewelry and... uh, It sounds like a nice happy thought, but it's not a happy thought here. This so-called mizpah benediction. These are not happy thoughts and feelings that these men have toward each other. They don't like each other. They don't trust each other. Each one feels the need for God to protect them from the other. Laban shows his, his deep distrust for Jacob in, in verse 52, he says, this heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap 
to your side and that you will not go past this heap to my side to harm me. Just really worry about that. He's worried that Jacob will do that very thing and come and harm him. Put together an army later in the future when he's even stronger and come back to kill him. He's just sure Jacob wants revenge. He's suspicious. He's fearful. He's basically paranoid. Not knowing the Lord can do that to a person. Can make you feel that way. Can make you think that way. Can make you a very fearful, suspicious person. This man doesn't know the security of having the Lord as his God, as his helper, as his friend, as his protector. And so he's desperate to, to make himself secure through whatever means. And you know that's what people do, people who are without God. They're so fearful. They try to do all sorts of things to ensure their, their security in this life. Whatever that may be, uh, be it uh, obsessive exercise or storing up uh, treasures here on earth, that's the kind of thing we see from Laban here. That's what's driving him to try to gain security through this covenant. He doesn't have the Lord. And he's a very insecure person because of it. And we see here that he's a pagan. We see that next. He invokes the name of several gods. It's as if he's trying to cover all the bases. That's kind of how the pagans um, worshipped all their many gods. They were covering all the bases. If one can't help me, well, then maybe the other ones will. Verse 53, he said, May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. He's a polytheist. Just like uh, Abraham was when he grew up. Speaking of multiple gods here, and he, um, he shows that uh, pagan approach to the world and way of thinking. But you've got to love Jacob. Jacob responds, and he just dismisses all those false gods here. In verse 53, he says, in just a few words, it records his statement, Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. The fear of his father Isaac. That's another way of referring to the God of his father Isaac. The Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The one true God. Jacob heard what Laban said, but Jacob took his oath only in the name of the one true God. Abraham had been an idol worshiper growing up. The Lord brought him out of that, and he turned to serve the living God. But his son Isaac, Isaac was the first generation to grow up away from all that moon worship and uh, the false idols of the Mesopotamians. 
He was the first of the patriots, uh, patriarchs to, to never worship those idols. He grew up hearing the name of the one true God as his God. And so the mention of Isaac highlights the fact that the Lord is the one true God, the only God. And Jacob was standing up for him, for the truth, for the true God. He says, I'm not going to swear by your false gods. I will swear by the one true God, the God of my father, the fear of Isaac. That's a beautiful, bold confession he makes here. May the Lord give us that same faith, that same uh, faith in the one true God and that same conviction and courage to confess the truth of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, who's the only way of salvation. He's the final revelation, Jesus is, of this same God that Jacob speaks of here, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has made himself known supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. He is the way and the truth and the life. Don't be ashamed to stand up and declare your faith in him like Jacob did here. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice, and they all sat down to have a meal together afterward. They made this covenant, and then they sat down for a covenant meal. And what does a meal represent? Well, when it's in connection with a covenant like this, it uh, represents restored fellowship. It represents the, the ceasing of those hostilities between these men. And the, that's the meaning of that meal. It means that the hostilities have ended. The enmity, the warfare there uh, that they've had between themselves is, is not there anymore. Once the covenant is established, those things are put aside. The enmity's put away, and you can enjoy fellowship. And whether it was very sincere and heartfelt between these two men, we're not told. But formally, at least, they had this meal to represent that ceasing of the hostilities and that, uh, that new fellowship between them. You know, that's the meaning behind the Lord's Supper as well. The Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. We have peace with God now through the blood of the covenant, through the blood of Jesus. By his death, by his sacrificial death, he has atoned for our sins. He has taken away all that enmity all that hostility that existed between God and us. Our warfare with God is ended. And now we have communion with him. And that's not just a, a, a formal matter for us. And the meal is not just a symbolic 
fellowship. We have real fellowship with the Lord. We have real spiritual union and communion with this great holy God through His Son and by the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, after the meal, they spent the night there together, and verse 55 says that they woke in the morning, and Laban arose, and and they parted. He kissed his grandchildren and daughters and blessed them, and he returned home. And we see it's a peaceful parting. And that was the last that we hear of Laban and the last that Jacob apparently saw of Laban. Let me close now by just saying a few more words about God's covenant that he has established with us. This covenant between Laban and Jacob has some things to teach us. These men were not on friendly terms at all. It's a very hostile relationship, a very distrustful relationship going both ways. Lots of bad feelings. Jacob certainly was justified in his bad feelings. Laban was not. But that covenant put an end to that enmity. And it established peace. It established security. And the covenant that God makes with us sinners is very similar. God wants us to know and be convinced of his good and gracious purposes toward us. He knows that we're prone to doubt. He knows that we're prone to uh, be fearful and insecure in relation to him. He knows that we're, we're um, prone to doubt that he loves us and that his grace has really taken care of everything so that we can have fellowship with him. And that's because of our sinfulness. We know our sin, and we know how great and holy he is. So here's what God has done. We read of it in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 talks about what God has done in the new covenant. He has given us an anchor for our souls so that we can know, so that we can really believe and enjoy the reality of our peace with Him and the restored fellowship with God that we now have. We read from Hebrews 6, verses 16 and following, says, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. Just like those men swore an oath. God took an oath. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast 
anchor of the soul, a hope that goes into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. See, we're so much like Laban, it isn't even funny. Laban was so insecure, so fearful, so afraid that Jacob was going to just blast him. You know, we tend to be that way too, fearful and distrusting. We're that way toward God because he is altogether holy and perfectly righteous and we are sinners. We tend to do what Adam and Eve did in the garden after they sinned. They ran and hid from God. They were afraid of him. They doubted his goodness. Satan had planted that seed well. And we still struggle with that as well, even as believers. We doubt God's goodness. We doubt his love for us. And so he's made a covenant with us through his son to assure us of his grace and of his love toward us. And he swore by himself that he would keep that covenant. And he established it by the sacrifice of his own son. And by his son's blood, he has taken away all his own wrath. He's taken away all our guilt. He's taken away all that enmity, all that hostility that he had toward us because of our sin. All that separated us from him. He has dealt with it at the cross. Jesus has made peace for us. So now we don't have to worry about trying to make ourselves secure. That's what Laban was doing. I've got to find a way to make myself secure. We don't have to think that way. We don't have to try to save ourselves or secure our well-being by our own efforts. God has given us that security and that safety and peace. He's given it to us as a gift of his grace through faith in his son. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And he wants you to be assured of this. He wants your heart to be convinced of his love and grace toward you. He wants you to know that his loving purposes and his grace toward you will not end. If you trust in his son, you can count on that. God has taken an oath on that. He's sworn an oath by himself. That's what our salvation rests on. That's what your peace and eternal security hangs on. Not yourself, not your own performance, but on God and his unchangeable promise and his character to remain faithful to himself. So be encouraged by that. And hold fast to that hope that you have in Christ. He has redeemed you. And he has brought you into an everlasting friendship.
friendship with him. Believe that. And give thanks to him. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, our Lord and our God, we are so prone to, uh, to doubt your grace toward us and to shrink back in fear. Lord, don't let us help our doubting hearts. We pray that you'd strengthen our weak faith. Give us a, a firm trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in trusting in him, we're, we are trusting in you and your love and your gracious promises. Keep us trusting in you. All your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We thank you for him and his perfect redemption. It's in his name we pray. Amen.